0: to move. I speak the name cause it's all that I can do. In desperation I'll seek heaven and pray this for you. I pray for your healing. That circumstances would change. I pray that the fear. Oh. Circumstances would change I pray that the fear I pray for your healing, circumstances would change, I pray that the fear
1: Uh, did all our kids head downstairs? All right. Uh, let's pray in preparation for the message. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with uh, with me this morning. I pray that you would uh, help me to be focused. Help me to uh, bring the word. Help me to to point to your gospel, to your truth. Um, help me to 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 Jesus over and over again in this message. I pray that folks who are here, uh, who are hearing me uh, speak this morning, that they would they would also just hear from Christ. I pray that it would be nothing of me, nothing of, of us, nothing of our politics or any other mess, that it would just all be Christ. I pray for, for uh, folks who are here that their hearts would be uh, good soil, that seeds will be planted in, and that that will grow into something um, wonderful and, and, and uh, produce a great harvest for you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I am not feeling super fantastic this morning. I uh, woke up not feeling well. I don't know if it's the weather change or something else. So um, if I'm a little low energy, I apologize. Uh, if you guys would be high energy, that would help because uh, I, <laughs> I maybe you know not that high energy. If you want, whatever, do what the Spirit leads. Um, I, uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I was on my way out to the uh, Durgas, and uh, I was going to go help uh, David digging, or like moving dirt for a foundation for, for a house he was having put in. And uh, that morning, I had had a, uh, a couple of really serious, important conversations, and they were weighing very heavily on my mind. And I know you guys know that I am a very in the present and focused individual normally. Uh, that, that was a joke. Uh, I, have, I have the attention span of a goldfish, uh, and, and on some occasions, like, like I, uh, I was working on a project at work a few years ago, and I drove, I was driving to work, and a song came on that made me think about the project, and I, I drove 40 miles past my turn in Amish cornfield country before I realized I had missed my turn, because uh, I just got to thinking about this work thing. Uh, and, and so um, I'm driving out to the Durgas, and I'm just deep in thought about this, uh, this, this series of things that I have to figure out how to, how to um, manage and address as a pastor and, and, and as a follower of Jesus. And I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I um, got off the gravel. You know, that's when you know you're near the Durgas when you're, like, off the gravel. And I, I came up to a turn, and I'm not thinking. I'm just – well, I'm thinking, but I'm not paying attention Uh, And I saw like a tractor, and I knew I was going to do some heavy work, and I I thought, well, this is my turn, because I I'd just gotten off the gravel, and I turned left, and I drove, and I wasn't looking at the end of the road, I wasn't looking at anything, I was just looking right in front of me and not thinking about anything but what I was thinking about, and there was a mound of dirt across the road, and you guys remember a few weeks ago there was a lot of water, like lakes, so I see this mound of dirt, and I thought, why on earth would that be the case? And I thought, well, it must be something that they were messing around. You never know with the dergas. Uh, and I thought, well, I better speed up because I don't want to get hung up on that. And I, uh, I gunned it, fortunately. And I uh, I went over the dirt, and, and somehow I lost contact with the road entirely. And I had one wheel hit, and the car caught and sort of jerked and... Everything else, and I thought, wow, that was a bigger pile of dirt than I thought. And I, I kept driving up to the end, and then I like, realized, wait a minute, the Durgas don't have grain bins here. And they have an actual house, not a, you know, not a shack. And I, I then realized that I had taken the wrong turn. And I, I turned around, and I was going to pull back out onto the road to go to the right place. And I thought, man, I've got to go over that dirt pile again. And as I was pulling up, I, I, I thought, man, that thing looks weird. And I stopped, and I got out, and I walked up, and somebody had come along with a backhoe. Because there was so much water on this side, and it needed to get to this side, they dug a trench across there with the, with the backhoe. And with my wife's little blue Honda Civic, I pulled a uh, Dukes of Hazzard uh, and jumped over that, uh, what, like three-foot divide or whatever it was. I mean, it was bigger than a Honda should jump. Um, and I, I, in my defense, I couldn't see the hole. There was a big pile of dirt there, right? And I wasn't paying attention. The dirt blocked it. I wasn't thinking about it. And, and I cleared it. I, I did not damage the car on the way back like I tried to pull down in the ditch. And I did get stuck in the mud. It's a whole other story. But follow me here. There are times in life where, for one reason or another, we become blind right, um, we become blind to the thing in front of us, we become blind to the things that are happening in our relationships, to the things that are happening in our own lives, to the things that we're doing, right, like there's that great little like uh, uh, tidbit about the, you know, before you pull the dust out of, or the sawdust out of your neighbor's eye, look for the plank in your own, because in reality, it's a lot easier to see tiny little problems with the other guy than it is to see the big log hanging off your face, right, And I was so busy thinking about work, thinking about everything other than what I was doing at the moment as I was driving down that road. Um, I was blind. My my head made me blind. This pile of dirt made me blind. Like all of these different things got in the way of me um, not making an exceptionally stupid decision. Though I did create an exceptionally cool story and a lot of conversation about whether I was Bo or Luke Or Coy or Vance. And then, like, actually, I got a very strong argument that was, in fact, Roscoe. Uh, Everybody who's under the age of 30 has no idea what I'm talking about. Everyone. Anyway, we're going to be diving into, so last week we did the parable of the soils. And like, the parable of the soils is, is an interesting text, but like, you have a, a parable and you have an explanation, and right in the middle, you have like three verses that's considered to be like a problem passage. It is a difficult to understand, a difficult to engage with, a difficult to like sort of wrap your head around text. And I thought about folding it into last week's sermon, but then I realized – now, actually, after the fact, I looked back and I was like, oh, I spoke for an hour. Um, So it would have been even longer, and I also broke it out because the parable of the soils as a standalone is phenomenal, right? Um, This three verses in Mark connects the parable of soils – to the rest of Mark, and to the larger message of the book, and to what's going on in the surrounding chapters. And so I decided to pry it out and put it back in this week. We're not going to do the whole parable, but we're just going to look at these couple of verses. There's a little bit of background we have to do. Excuse me. Um, Parables, right? Like parables are, because Jesus just taught in a parable, and parables are going to play a central role in the rest of Mark's book. So parables in the ancient world, um, they're not like, Aesop's fables or whatever. I mean, they are like an earthly, like direct, concrete story with like a larger message attached. Right? And I, I read an interesting essay arguing that like for us, we think in concepts. Right? We think, we think very abstractly. In the ancient world, like in the East, they did not do that. Like they thought in very like, like, like concrete, specific, not in concepts, in the world that they lived in rather. And so you would see these funny analogies built into teachings, and and they were pretty common, actually. Um, nobody knows exactly how to define them. Actually, lots of people know, but nobody agrees. Uh, I listened to an interesting talk on the subject that said some scholars say that Jesus used about 20 parables, and some say 60. And, like, nobody can agree on a number because there are, like, a million other guys who say, oh, it was 32 or you know, whatever, between the two numbers. So, Jesus used parables quite a bit. Most rabbis used parables, but they used it differently than Jesus did. And real quick, Jesus follows, in the parable of the soils, he follows a standard format. And I actually have a sample, and I, uh, I, I cited it in the deep dive, and uh, Lita uh, watched the deep dive and actually quoted it for me, which was kind of cool. She, like, threw it in my – I think she looked it up. I don't think she just knew it. She might have, uh, which would be amazing. Um, but even looking it up is like a lot of effort. So one rabbi, he does all of this teaching and he uses this particular parable. And this is considered a parable. So he finishes teaching and he says to the crowd, there are four types among those who sit in the presence of rabbis. A sponge, the funnel, the strainer, and the sieve. The sponge which soaks up everything. The funnel which takes in At this end and lets out at the other the strainer, which lets out wine and retains the dregs and the sieve, which reduces the chaff and dust and keeps the grain. That's it. No explanation beyond it because rabbis didn't explain it. The whole purpose of it is to put this parable at the end of a teaching. The parable like illuminates the teaching in a way like of analogy, but also puts you in a spot where you have to make a decision. The whole purpose of parables is to make you decide what you're going to do with it. Like this one. Oh, wait a minute. What kind of listener am I going to be? Am I going to be a sponge? I'm going to absorb everything and robotically be able to repeat it back. Am I going to be, you know, a funnel where um, I just hear it and it just goes in one ear and out the other? Like, what am I going to be? And then, so then you have to decide, like, how you're going to handle the information. And that was the reasons parables were a thing. And I go on for there a little bit more. Jesus uses parables in the Gospel of Mark very differently. Um, and specifically, like, what we find is so, up until this point, Jesus has been teaching, he's taught in different settings, and everybody's very clear spoken, very plain. He uses parables once before. Uh, And we'll get to that in a second. Um, And otherwise, like, it's been very straightforward. Now, like, when the soil starts, like the parable of soils, he preaches, but he doesn't preach using any direct messaging. He just does parables. And so everybody else in the world knows what a parable is, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to hear a big, long teaching and then a parable. And Jesus instead just gets up and talks in parables, just straight parables. And, like, like, we'll get to it in a second how the disciples react, but Jesus is doing something very different than what anybody else would expect. Instead of giving a teaching and then a parable, he just gives a riddle, and he expects you to figure it out or expects you not to figure it out, which is the problem. Um, it is the pitfall. It is the, the truth that is there and demands a decision, but it's hidden behind a big old pile of dirt, and you don't know what's there. And sometimes we think, well, I know what this is. I'm going to hit the gas and go right through it. Uh, sometimes we get out and we look at it more carefully, which is the smarter thing to do. Uh, but you don't get the cool story then. Um, so Mark, however, does something a little different, and it's clever because what Mark does... So Jesus teaches in parables, doesn't give an explanation. But Mark takes that, he doesn't give an explanation, and attaches it to a whole series of events that gives extra explanation to the events. And so Mark takes Jesus not using an explanation and attaches it to his teaching on the topic. It's kind of funny. It's meta, I think is what the what the youngins would say, right? That's a thing? Um, what has happened is... Up until this point, there are all of these people who are pushing back against Jesus. There's conflict. There's people who are trying to limit him. Oh, you're casting out demons by Satan, obviously, because you can do this and you're not on our team, so you must be evil. And, like, so there's all of this conflict. Jesus ends the conflict narrative by saying, hey, whoever does the will of the Father is my brother and mother and everything else. Like, like this is my family, the people who do God's will. That's my family. And then we jump into this parable of the soils which is some people have hearts that cannot receive the word. And when the word comes to them, it gets eaten or it gets choked out or it gets baked in the sun and some produce good fruit. And so like Marcus said, like, look, people who are like conflicting, people who are opposed, and now which category do they fall in? And he uses it the way it's traditionally used, but Jesus didn't. It's kind of cool. He has this cake and he eats it too. Which is not a parable. It's an analogy or a saying. I don't know, something like that. So, uh, wait a minute, did I cover everything here? Oh, one, uh, like in, in the text of Mark, there's two other things. We talked about insiders and outsiders. This is the ultimate insider passage. Mark emphasizes that the people who used to be far from God, the people who used to be pushed out, are suddenly brought in. And the people who thought they were close to God, like the Pharisees, are suddenly on the outside. People who are blood relations or sons of Abraham or whatever are suddenly far away from God because they see the pile of dirt and they don't, like, look at it carefully. They hear the story and they say, well, that guy's just nuts. They meet God himself and they don't get it. They reject God and he's like, well, look... you know, like, like the rejection thing is, is in the center of this. The other thing is that Mark has this thing called the Messianic secret. It's a theological name. It's not in there. It is not the secret, which is a really cheesy book that you should not read because it's all garbage, hot garbage. Um, but the Messianic secret is this, is this thing where Jesus keeps it a secret who he is. And all these people stumble over him because they don't know who he is. And Jesus over and over again hides it. And pulls it back and doesn't tell people. And when people say, oh, you're the son of God, he's like, no, stop talking, don't tell anyone. And he keeps all this a secret. And so the fact that God himself is there is a bit of a secret in the text. And no one gets it. And it's a secret on purpose all the way up until they get to Jerusalem. That's a whole other story, but it is a part of this conversation. So the first big idea as we dive into verse 10 here is that Jesus has been teaching plainly up until this point. Now he's using parables, said that a minute ago. um, But he stops using parables when they're alone. Now, uh, Mark 4.10, hopefully uh, my wife is keeping up with me. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Um, I'm just including this, and I wanted to bring it up because this looks like a throwaway verse. It is not a throwaway verse. This is the 12, and this is the people who have really committed to him. This is the mother and brothers and family of Christ, like the sisters and all this. These are the people who are doing God's will, who are brought up close to him, right, those who are around him. Um, And I think I don't know, I didn't see any commentaries, nobody else thought, like, I didn't see this anywhere, and so, like, this is me um, saying this, but, like, the first group of folks that called him crazy were those who were of him, and this is those who are around him, Um, and I think there might be a wordplay there, I might be wrong, but these are the guys who are agreeing, and they're seeking him, and they're like, yeah, there's something special here, we need to know this, and so they ask him, they're like, dude, what's with the parables, why did you do this, why did you, like, huge, thousands of people, and you start teaching, and, like, why didn't you teach directly? Why did not you just explain it all to them? I, and I like clear You guys like clear explanation? Like, I, I hate it when somebody you know, tries to be mysterious or terribly mysterious with me, and they give me like weird lines, and they say, oh, well, you know, whatever. Like, I want you to just tell me stuff. I don't want to figure it out. I want you to just tell me. Um, and so they're like, hey, what's the deal? Why are you doing this? Why are you using parables? Um, in this case, and I only have a partial line there, I, I, uh, can you bump me forward here? Uh, the use of parables is meant to veil the truth. It is meant to veil the teaching that is taking place. Jesus is intentionally hiding what he's doing. And if we go to Mark 4, 11 to 12, this is the rest of the verse for today. We're going to have a little bit Isaiah in here and some other Mark stuff, but like this is the rest of our focus text. What Jesus says to him is, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. What is the secret? Jesus. God is here. Like, God has literally showed up, and he is here. It's a little like, um, you ever see where, I don't know, I guess, like the Inquirer, the supermarket thing, where they show, like, a celebrity wearing a really bad disguise trying to go somewhere in public? You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, look, it's Elvis, and he's here amongst us, you know, working at a 7-Eleven. Well, he's in disguise, so people leave him alone. Like the Messianic secret is there. Like he's there, but he's in disguise. He's hiding. He's incognito. Um, And they've been given this secret of the kingdom of God, that God is coming, that the kingdom is coming. Um, But for those outside, but for those outside, inside and outside, right, everything is in parables so that they may Indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven And so what he's done here he quotes isaiah Ooh, He says listen everybody else the insiders you're getting the straight truth And we're going to find out in a second the disciples if they didn't get a straight explanation They weren't smart enough to figure it out on their own right and it's easy to be judgy about that But if I was in their shoes, I'd probably be twice as dumb If not more Um, as long as I could run it over with my Honda, it's fine, Um, my wife's Honda. So um, the secret is there. There are insiders and there are outsiders, but who are the insiders? The insiders are the rejects, the tax collectors, the, the guys who didn't make it all the way in seminary but got, like, kicked out early because they weren't smart enough. Like like common people. Um, I think the Sanhedrin actually calls the disciples, when they first come before them in the book of Acts, they call them illiterate. <laughs> like these guys are, they're nobody, but they're the ones that Christ is drawing close and the ones who think they've got it all together. The sons of Abraham, the blood relatives, everyone, they're on the outside. And they're, everything's veiled. They're not going to hear it. They're not going to know it. Lest, so they can see but not perceive hear but not understand lest they turn and be forgiven now um it might be easy to think of that like do you remember those in the 90s they had those those pictures i never ever in my entire life i can proudly say i never put the effort in to try and see them but they would be diffused pictures and if you stared at them long enough like a sailboat would come out or a or a bunny or something like that and i never had the patience to stop and look like so i would just like oh yeah i see this like i see a bunch of mess and i'm not going to try see anything else um That seeing but not perceiving sometimes is looking at the picture and not seeing it, right? It's just not seeing it. It's looking at the pile of dirt and not seeing that there's something on the other side of it or that there might be something more to it or that it's even there for a reason. Like, be an idiot and just assume it's just there and not for a reason. Um, So the big idea is we dive into Isaiah because he cites Isaiah in the explanation of his shift because he's about to do... This thing where he only teaches in parables to certain groups. Only teaches in parables. Isaiah... Like, what we're going to see in this text, Isaiah is from a hard-hearted people, a people of unclean lips. Like, he's from a broken people. God cleanses him of his own initiative. Isaiah does nothing to fix it. It is all God. And when God fixes it in him, then Isaiah is able to engage with God without being destroyed, without being, like, broken, without being driven mad or whatever. And, like, the hard-hearted people who are around him still, having not been cleansed, having not been softened, when they see the truth, They're more hardened by it. Do you ever ever get really mad trying to accomplish something and, like, you couldn't see the right path because you were so angry? Just me? No? Do you ever watch your kids do it? I'm sorry. I guess I'm an overgrown child. Like, where you watch your kids do something and, like, they get to the, you're like, hey, let me explain how to do it. No. You know, or like, hey, you know, what's going wrong here? No, I don't care. You know, and that's still me. But sometimes when we're hard-hearted, sometimes when we're mad, sometimes when we're in resistance, the truth makes it worse. The truth makes us double down, like, oh, well, now I'm really mad. What, you're right and I'm wrong? This is like the worst husband move ever, but I do it sometimes. My wife is right and I'm wrong? Well, now I'm even more ticked off. (laughs) It's her fault for being right once. Uh, <laughs> sorry guys I don't feel very good I'm starting to get a little lightheaded um Isaiah 6 1 to 7 in the year King Isaiah died I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and he one call to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, this is a vision that Isaiah has had. And I'm going to highlight a couple of things in this that are important and sort of contribute. Um, is that these angels, are there. he has this vision of God on his throne. He doesn't see God's face, I assume, because if he saw God's face, he would die, right? Like, that's it. Um, but the angels are there. The angels are covering their face because they can't see God. Um, they're covering their faces. They're covering their feet, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. Um, When you see a triple repetition like that, um, like holy, 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 or, or what have you, it is in Hebrew, this would be an ultimate emphasis. This is the most holy. What does holy even mean? Holy means set apart. It means other. It means not of this world. Not physical, not sinful, not dirty, not broken, not like, like any of the stuff that you could think of. And that's part of the reason we can't come close to God. Because as I approach God, God's holiness is a little like a, like a consuming fire. Do you ever watch, um, if you're, you're at family camp, this is something I, I was thinking about when I was looking at this text. Uh, the kids go there with the marshmallows. And they all like, like they start initially just warming them up and they make Anakin Skywalker marshmallows real quick. You just set them on fire and they fall off and into the fire and then they burn up. And you can watch them where like everything that is not fire is consumed by the fire, right? And like everything that is not holy that comes into God's presence, his holiness is like a consuming fire. Like it consumes anything that is not appropriate to be present. And that is like that holiness is God's primary attribute. We like to say God is love, and God is love. It is one of his primary attributes. But his biggest, serious, like number one primary attribute is his holiness. And so like God is holy, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And most of the time we can't see. You know why? Because we're blind. Because our hearts are hard. The more I come to know Christ, the more I wake up in the morning, look out and say, oh my goodness, what did God do today? Oh my goodness, look at how beautiful this stuff is. I look at, I look at you know, little miracles and I'm, I'm, oh wow, God's glory is everywhere. And I think a lot of people experience that when we draw close to him, we see more. But most of the time we're blind. Why are we blind? We're blind because our hearts are hardened because we have sin. That's it. It creates blindness. It makes us impossible for us to see the holiness of God. It's like staring into the sun, or actually so my stupid iPhone oh, that thing's driving me nuts. It's got a little light flashlight button. You know what I'm talking about. And if you hold it wrong, you can accidentally turn the flashlight button on. And if you're wandering around in the like day and you hit that flashlight button, can you see the light? Not at all. Why? The sun's a whole lot brighter. Like if you try to read your phone in the daylight, you can't read it. You know why? Because the sun is so much brighter. Like our blindness is like wearing like thick, heavy, dark glasses so we can't see God's glory. And like those thick, heavy, dark glasses blind us to everything else, like welder's glasses almost. So keep going from there. Sorry, I got hung up. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of Kings, or the King of, the King, the Lord of Hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched it to my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt has been taken away, and your sin atoned for. Nothing atones for sin, nothing takes away guilt except for the blood of Christ. First off, right? And God's holiness infests us through the blood of Christ. And like it's like a consuming fire. It burns up everything that doesn't belong. And you can quench that fire by being wicked, right? Like you can always throw water on a fire. um, But like if God's in control, if he is in that position of, you know, brother, sister, I am doing his will. I'm submitted to him. I belong to him. It consumes everything. And then you either fight it or you run away from it, right? You ever hear that you're screwing up and you want to fight it? but you decide, like, like, oh, well, I'm going to go with this. Or you hear something, and you're like, I really know this is what I should do, but it's not what I want to do. What I want to do is this. What I want to do is fun. Or even though I know it's not right, I still want to do it. Like, that is it. And so, like, his sin is atoned for, but the holiness of God has cleansed him through the blood of Christ. So, when I heard the voice, this is the important part. We're going to get to the quote. I included the preceding session because it, it's, well, let's do the quote, and then I'll... I'll explain it. Um, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go, say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So, excuse me, he has cleansed him. He has said, who are we going to send? And then Isaiah says, well, send me. I'll go tell these people. I've seen something amazing. I'm going to go tell them. I'll go. I'll do this. I'll be your voice. I'll be your guy. And so he is ready to go. But he says, listen, what you're going to do is you're going to go and tell them. And the moment you start talking, they're going to stop listening. Why? You ain't telling them what they want to hear. Right? You ain't telling them the truth they want to hear. They want their ears itched. You know what I mean? They want to know that you can drink milkshakes three times a day and lose weight. Um, you know, like, like they always, everybody sells you on what is the thing you want to hear, not what's true. Right? And in reality, like, it is, hey, this is a fun thing that'll make us a lot of money and it'll make you think you're doing something important. But in reality, it's not going to work. That's the truth. But no one wants to hear that. Like, it just is. We, we want to hear what we want to hear. And so he says, listen, you're going to go tell them the truth, but they're not going to listen. They're not going to listen. And the more they hear the truth, the angrier they're going to get. And the more bitter and the more hard-hearted they're going to get. And eventually, like what happens to Isaiah is they put him inside of a giant hollow log and they saw him in half. It's actually a recurring message when Jesus is traveling around and talking about the prophets and like how like the, the Pharisees and the temple authorities treated the prophets. They killed them all. All of them, except for Jeremiah, actually, who survived. But he was thrown in a well for a long time and imprisoned and a bunch of other nasty stuff happened to him. He might have been killed eventually, but he actually survives when the exile happens. Um, But the prophets are always mistreated. Why? Because prophets are people coming and telling folks what they don't want to hear. Right? uh, I've noticed my kids have a habit of asking me for things instead of Jessica. You know why? Why? Because, yeah, sure, (laughs) do what you want, yeah, whatever, that's fine, yeah, you can have that, yeah, drink soda, yeah, eat cake for dinner, yeah, do do what you want, right? My wife is a better parent. Um, And so, like, like we go, you know, the tendency we have in our sinful hearts is to go to the prophet, just going to say, like, hey, stay the course, you're doing awesome. Um, The problem is that they're lying. They're not telling the truth. They're deceiving you. And the truth is that any prophet who comes and speaks the truth, our inclination is going to be fight, 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 or submit. It's going to be, or sometimes we ignore instead of fight, or we pretend, or whatever. But ultimately, it is resist the truth or submit to God's will. Um there's significance to this. Why on earth would Jesus quote this verse right after a passage about dropping seeds in dirt? Huh. It's almost like some seeds didn't, you know, sometimes the word doesn't make it into people's hearts because they hear the word and their heart is hard-hearted. They say, I don't like this truth. I don't understand that this is the truth. I don't understand that you're the son of God. I'm going to ignore you. Right? Right? And so the seed bounces off. Sometimes there's no depth to it. People say, oh, this sounds great. I'm going to bring it into me. And then when it gets hard, they're like, yeah, this is a lot harder than I thought it was. I I think I'm going to quit now. Or they get like really invested and they start getting so busy with everything else in life that looks fun and amazing and interesting and wealth giving and everything else. And then they're like, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I got all this other stuff. Um. That's what Isaiah encountered. That's what God warned him would happen. That's why Jesus speaks in parables. is because it's like a symbolic act of judgment against the folks he's talking to. Because if he told them the truth, and when he told them the truth, they resisted him. They pushed back. They called him names. They attacked him. Eventually, they killed him. So he veils it. He hides it. And even if he had told them the truth, they wouldn't have heard it. That's the problem. Even if he had told them the truth, they wouldn't have heard it. I am convinced that driving the other day, if there had been a sign that said, be careful, don't drive your car into this hole, idiot, I wouldn't have read it. You know why? I wasn't paying attention. I had other things on my mind that were more important than whether or not I was going to pull the Dukes of Hazzard thing. Which wasn't even on my radar. Uh, So... Jesus cites Isaiah, and then the heart condition needed to receive the word, it comes from the Holy Spirit. This is important to understand. We are hard-hearted. God makes us capable of hearing because we're blind. That's why the healing of the blind is such a significant miracle for Christ. When he makes the blind see, and that's actually a major prophecy that was given about Christ's coming. You see it in Matthew, like, you know, uh, John the Baptist is like, oh, well who are you? Are you really the Messiah? He's like, oh, go tell John the Baptist that the blind have been given sight. And he did give the blind sight, like literally. And those who were spiritually dull suddenly could understand things. And those who were thought they could see and thought they knew everything were blinded by their own sin. And so the Holy Spirit is central to that. But go to Mark 3, 28 to 29. Truly, I say to you, this is so there, he heals a man whose hand is deformed, and they're like, oh, well, you do this you know, by the spirit of the devil. And Jesus responds to him. He's like, look, don't say I do this by the spirit of the devil. He says, truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. And there's, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm not going to rehash it. Um, I'm going to summarize the big idea here is you don't repent apart from the Holy Spirit intervening. And if you create a condition in your heart where you resist the Holy Spirit in all things, where the Holy Spirit stops talking and you've stopped up your ears and you can't hear Him, like, ultimately, you can't repent because the ground has baked into solid concrete, right? And so he says, listen, like, it's not, it's not a surprise. In the middle of the narrative about resistance, they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They say that everything that is good is evil. Everything Jesus is doing is evil. Um, and then in the next thing, he says, listen, these guys, they're never going to understand. Why? Because they can't. Because their hearts are hard. Because sin has overtaken them. And because they've created a condition where the Holy Spirit ain't going to break up the soil. The disc is broken. Or we sold it or something. I don't know how that works. Most people don't use discs anymore, actually, right? Depends on the soil. Um, Last big idea before we kind of dive into our application. Um, Jesus is kind of exasperated uh, at the need for an explanation. So, like, the disciples are asking questions. And they don't get it Um, just because you have an open heart, just because you have good soil in you doesn't mean that you don't need to like tend the soil. Right. You have the best field in the world. But if you let weeds overtake it, if you don't put seeds in it, you got a problem. Right. If you don't make sure that the precision air drill does its job like nothing's happening. And so uh, I just wanted to touch on this briefly. Uh, And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all of the parables? He's like, guys, you're the insiders. You're supposed to get this. How are you so dumb? Well, he picked the dumb ones, right? Like Paul tells us that. I picked the foolish to shame the wise. But the difference between these guys and the Pharisees is the Pharisees probably heard it. Like I looked at the pile of dirt and said, that's something to run over. These guys heard it and they said, well, can you help me understand why that dirt's there? Is there a hole on the other side? Am I going to fall into that? Having a soft heart doesn't mean you understand everything. It doesn't make you a genius. It doesn't make you anything other than able to receive. Um, Oftentimes, we have to sit and chew, right? You ever get like, uh, what are those awful candies, milk duds? Oh, I hate those things. They should be good. Stop it. They should be good, but they're not. You know why? Because you start chewing on them, and your jaw hurts after about 30 seconds. Like, I could eat solid acorns and have an easier time with my jaw and teeth, um, or rocks, Because they're just like, you got to work at them. But sometimes scripture, sometimes the big things in life are like that. You have to chew on them. You have to dig into them. You have to, like, savor and consider and work and break it up into smaller pieces until you figure it out. Um, uh, Dwayne and I were talking about a book a while ago. I started reading it, and I gave it. As I lay dying, I don't remember who wrote it. Who wrote it? Faulkner. And I... I I got hung up in the middle, and I didn't finish it because there was way too much chewing to be done. And I'm kind of (laughs) lazy. And I will restart it, and I will chew on it. But if you don't chew on it, you don't understand the book properly. It's like reading a long poem. Uh, Like, it's hard, right? And if you don't chew, you won't find it. One of the keys to spiritual depth is chewing. Chewing, chewing, chewing. Why? Because sometimes things are not obvious and they're not easy. Why aren't they obvious and easy? Because some folks will look at it and say, this isn't worth the effort, right? Some folks will say, well, this is, this is too much. I don't want it. But if we're not willing to invest the time, nothing good comes out of it. Uh, oh, last big idea here. Now watch this. Uh, and I save this for last. I've wanted to say it a couple times. I knew it was a bullet point, so I've held this back. Jesus uses ten ten times throughout the book, Jesus uses parables, like the book of Mark, right? Ten times. Every single time, it's in response to resistance. Like, he doesn't always use parables in response to resistance in the other Gospels. But for Mark, because Mark is making a point about the secret, like these guys aren't going to get it. every time somebody pushes against him, he breaks out a parable. And so, like, the first parable is actually the parable of tying up the strong man so you can rob his house. And that was in response to the teachers of the law who were saying, look, you know, you cast out demons by the devil. And Jesus is like, oh, let me tell you a riddle you can't figure out because your heart is too hard and you're just not going to get it. And he throws him a curveball. And so, like, in this gospel as you read, and actually the next like, chapter, the whole rest of this chapter is all parables. So we're just going to do parables for a few weeks, and it'll be fun. Um, but they follow the resistance narrative. And then from here on out, somebody pushes against them, he responds, responds by telling them a story, and they can't get it. Nothing. It's crazy. So what do we do with all this? This is a weird, like, heavily academic sermon, and uh, I hope I kept most of y'all awake. Um... First off, like in order to understand parables, you have to chew on them. You got to. You got to meditate on them. You got to consider them. You got to come back to them. You got to look at them from different angles and take them out and turn them over and pull and push and everything else to figure out what's really in there. Because like the good stuff is in there, but it's not instant. Like the t- the standard tendency sometimes when it comes to things like parables, especially when paired with teaching, um is to look at it like the pile of dirt. Yeah, I heard this sermon. Let's go. The thing is that, like, you probably won't fall into a hole on the other side, but you'll lose the more important message. And that's worse. I'd rather fall in a hole than miss something Christ is trying to tell me. Ten times worse. hundred times worse. Depending on the hole. Um... So like when you come across these texts, any text really, but like parables in particular, you got to chew this stuff and you got to think about it. Um, you got to bring it into the innermost parts of you because the more you consider it, the more it becomes a part of you. When we encounter truth and you feel conviction, um, you have to do something with it. I think the fact that he uses parables, like parables traditionally use like... Like, what's the normal use for it? Well, you put it at the end so that people understand the teaching in terms of what decision they have to make. They hear and obey, like the Shema, right? Like, hear and obey. Um, and when they hear, and they hear the parable, then they have to make a decision about obeying. These people can't hear, and they won't obey. When you hear something that pushes you, and you know what those things are, right? People will say, hey, actually, it happens to me. I'm not going to put this on any of y'all. People will say, Eric... I noticed that you're short-tempered recently. And my, my response will often be, yeah, you're right. I'll do something about that. And then I go on, and I don't, right? Because it's easy <laughs> It's ignore. I can also say, well, you know what? It's your fault. You know, I'm mad. It's because of you. I'm pointing at my children. My wife just stood up. Or we can submit in faith. You can say, you know what? If I'm convicted right now, if there's a pile of dirt in front of me and I'm not sure I'm going to get through it too easy, maybe I shouldn't ram it. Maybe I should stop and I should ask, am I going the right way? Should I turn around and go the other way? Am I making a bad decision here? Have I stopped paying attention enough that I'm falling in a hole? And the Holy Spirit will warn you. Say, hey, think about what you're doing. Hey, you should feel guilty about this. Hey, you know this is the wrong thing to do. If we ignore it, if we push back, if we fight, If we're called out and our instant response is to fight and we just fight or shut down or whatever, like real growth doesn't happen. We become the soil that's hard or filled with rocks. So the truth of the gospel is only evident to those whose hearts are softened to it. That is sort of the larger message here. And that's why this is connected to the parable of the soils. What I might mean by this is, people aren't hearing the message. They cannot hear it because their hearts are hard. They're broken. They're full of rocks. They're full of weeds and cheat grass and sawflies and everything else. Like it is bad ground, and they can't hear the truth of the gospel. And that's paired with this parable of the soils on purpose. Why? Because that's what it's all about. Got it? And so watch your heart. If this has stepped on your toes, if this has really piqued your interest then look at your heart and say, what kind of soil have I got? Am I working on this stuff? Am I pulling rocks? Do I need to? Do I need to spray a little DDT? DDT is not a f- – that's not to kill weeds, right? Like that's mosquitoes. But you sh- is it? It is a wrestling move. Good call. Do I need to spray some uh, Olympus? That's it. Uh, you know, to kill my weeds. Do I need to do this stuff? Or do I need to, you know, just plant and grow? Um, and Mark's larger point in this, and I'm saying this as we get into the parables going forward, is that those who are unwilling to do God's will, those who are unwilling to let the seed germinate and sprout and come into fruit and turn into thousands and thousands of bushels of an acre, like like they're not family or fertile soil. That's it. Like that's what Mark's saying. He's saying about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Um, that is, should be about the scariest warning you can get in life, Right? Do you ever worry, farmers, do you ever worry that as you look out on the field at the beginning of the year that nothing will grow? It's going kind to of have a big dirt field. If we worry about that, about the dirt in our yard, and we don't worry about it yet regarding the dirt in our hearts, there's probably a hole on the other side of that conversation. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to let you go because I went way longer than I planned on, but I don't care. Heavenly Father, I pray that the hearts of those who are here will be open to your word, that that they would be, that they would be fertile soil, that they would be um, ready to pull the weeds of, of uh, guilt and obligation and shame or bad history or, or um, whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is that's getting in the way, help them to pull the weeds, help them to pull the rocks, help them to become good soil. I pray that those who are standing on the edge of a, edge of a cliff ready to fall in, that you would wake them up with the words this morning. That you would bring them close to Christ and make them new in you. That they would get hearts of flesh and that your Holy Spirit would move. And that your holiness would burn away the weeds and the the rocks and everything else that gets in the way of growth. Amen.